Amen. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to One Life Community Church Live in the comforts of your own home. My name is Rich, and I'm one of the co-lead pastors here, and I want to say thank you for choosing to join us through our live feed and podcast today. We know this is not how it should be, and yet we are able to enter in and be united in one spirit um, with the technology we have to worship. I just want to say thank you to Brian for leading us in this time and acknowledge that if you haven't yet found our online church page on our website, all you have to do is go to onelifeseattle.org backslash online dash church. There you'll find resources for all of our kids, for our youth, as well as our live prayer app, which I know a lot of you have already been using, um, which is super awesome. Uh, Today we are diving into week three of our Lenten sermon series called This Must Be Stronger Than That. And as a quick review, the title of this series comes from a quote from a famous pastor and theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who lived during the time of World War II and died as a Christian martyr and resistor of the Nazi regime. And as a way to combat Hitler, the Nazi movement, and all the changes that were going on in the country and the German church at the time, Bonhoeffer started a resistance movement called the Confessing Church that insisted that Christ, not Hitler, was the head of the church. And not surprising, though, the church came under all kinds of pressure from the government and eventually was shut down completely. But during this time, Bonhoeffer also started an underground secret seminary, a school, if you will, for people who take the gospel seriously as a counter-cultural community for Jesus. They believed Christians could stand firm against the pressures of the day and follow Jesus as they engaged in certain discipleship practices. Now, some of these practices were considered too hardcore for some. And as the story goes, one of Bonhoeffer's friends came to visit him in this underground seminary and suggested he kind of tone it down a bit. And so the story goes, Bonhoeffer takes him out on a boat, rowed across this river, takes him to the top of this hill where they could see this Nazi training camp in the distance with fighter planes landing and taking off and soldiers preparing for battle. And he points at this little secret school and then points at Hitler amassing troops and weapons and all of that. And in prophetic contrast, Bonhoeffer says this, the people of God in how we live out our faith in Jesus, must be stronger than that. The discipline of the world around us. You see, Bonhoeffer believed that as Christ followers, the way we practice living out our day-to-day life should cause those who don't believe in God to question their unbelief. That we'd be living examples or ambassadors of the truth of the gospel and the love and grace of God for all people everywhere. And this fits perfectly with the season and practice of Lent. You see, the word Lent literally means springtime. So think of the process of the growth of a flower. There's that part where the seeds are cold and dark, alone in the ground, being challenged by all the elements. But ultimately, this process leads to transformation, bursting out of the ground, drawn by the sun, so we can see the beauty of new life springing forth. Now, without this process of what happens below the ground and all the hard work the seeds go through, the flowers can't develop as they should. And this is exactly what Lent is all about. Lent is meant to be the church's springtime, 
A time when out of the darkness of sin's winter, a repentant, empowered people emerges. So each week of Lent, we're looking at different invitations to practice as a way to engage God more in our day-to-day life. And in doing so, the hope is that our actions would invite those who don't know Christ to see the effects of the gospel springing forth in the lives of spirit-empowered people. Amen? Today, we are talking about how grieving must be stronger than dismissing, which seems very appropriate for what we're going through. So before we dive in, let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, we invite you to join us in the comfort of our homes, wherever we are. We thank you that as we breathe our very breath, you are with us, that you have us, that you hold us, that you invite us. And God, there is nothing that we have going on, no virus, no illness, No injury, no lack of work or finances, nothing that can separate us from you and that can keep us from experiencing your love and grace and mercy. And so today as we dive in and wrestle with what it means to grieve, we pray that you be with us. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In John chapter 11, verse 35, it says simply, that Jesus wept. And I don't know about you, but this idea of grieving feels very relevant for today. Not only was this day meant to be a day to remember the passing of our dear friend Janet Alfieri, but our city has been going through a lot with the COVID-19 pandemic. The fact that I'm essentially alone in this building is just one of many signs that things are not as they should be. So as we begin, I want to Start by asking a question. When was the last time you grieved and mourned over something? When was the last time you wept? There was moments this morning as we were worship that I found myself crying. But when was the last time you really grieved over something? You see, it's not hard to see that our news is filled with craziness, like a divided country surrounding our next presidential election. We have a homeless crisis in our very backyards. We have heartbreaking stories around immigration. We have talks of war. We have the Me Too movement. We have a broken prison system. We have shootings in schools. We have unheard of health concerns here and around the world with COVID-19. Not to mention we can't even get toilet paper, right? The list could go on and on and on. And yes, some of these issues may seem more disconnected or distant to some of us, while others hit very close to home. For example, we have people in our church community getting tested for the coronavirus. We have people in our community who have recently had surgeries and are struggling with their recovery. And others who, due to their surgeries, can't get around for weeks. We've lost a member of our congregation, Janet Alfieri, from a stroke We have a staff member whose whose parents are quarantined on a cruise ship. We have local businesses laying off employees or closing altogether. Just two days ago, I was talking with one of the baristas at Cafe Javasti, and he was sharing how hard COVID-19 is affecting him and that he may lose his job. He most likely will be canceling his wedding because of when it was set to happen, and he can't even go on his honeymoon now. This is really hard. 
And each and every one of these situations are cause for a response. So how do we respond? And maybe a better question is, how does Jesus respond to all these things? I think John eleven thirty five tells us Jesus would be weeping over all of these. But let's be honest. Although we understand grieving as the true, healthy, and needed response, how often do we actually do this? How often do we allow ourselves to weep and grieve and mourn that which is mournful? The truth is, our culture is really bad at grieving, and we're really good at dismissing. Grieving isn't a part of our narrative. It's not a part of our way of life. Even when it comes to remembering our loved ones that we've lost, like Janet, it's common practice that we have a celebration of life service where we can remember and celebrate the impact their presence has had on our lives, which is super an important thing to do, and we remember Janet. But honestly, how much do we give ourselves to grieve and mourn? You see, our culture has three primary ways that it copes with pain and suffering. We numb, we avoid, and we dismiss. And we're taught to numb ourselves, to stuff our feelings deep down, to repress and hide them, which most often leads to self-medicating. This is what counselors often refer to as the jack-in-the-box effect. Kind of like this. The special helps work. <laughs> The jack-in-the-box effect is where we push things down. We try to suppress our feelings till stress and anger builds up so much that we erupt like a jack-in-the-box or a volcano of emotions. And what's worse is that often the thing that triggered that explosion wasn't even the situation you were grieving in the first place. This form of coping with our suffering by numbing is not healthy and can lead to psychosis and the fracturing of relationships. We become emotionally unstable, which breaks trust and understanding, and it just never goes well. Numbing leads to all kinds of destructive addictions that try to help us escape from reality. In fact, pastor, therapist, and author Pete Scazzaro says this, numbing ourselves and avoiding pain and loss doesn't actually make us happier, healthier people. It actually does the opposite. It makes us depressed, addicted, isolated, and less human. And this leads to avoiding. So what happens is, because we have been working so hard to numb ourselves to our own hurt, we don't know how to deal with it. And so we avoid others who are hurting as well. We don't know how to enter into other people's hurts, and so we get awkward we don't know what to say. We try to fix things too quickly. We try to avoid any place where we might be expected to show empathy. Sure, we can be present in a memorial service and participate, but how much do we walk with those who have lost loved ones after that? 
if we're being often, if we're being honest, oftentimes we're just done and we don't know how to enter in. So we avoid it. I love how the liturgy of a Jewish Shabbat service always has a prayer called the mourner's Kadesh. It's for anyone who's been grieving in the last year. And so if you've lost someone or gone through something hard, towards the end of the service, you'd be invited to stand and pray this prayer each week. And it could go on for decades. And I just love how it's a reminder that there are people in our community who are grieving still. And that it takes time to move through the process. And it shouldn't be done alone. You see, sadly, we are way more prone to the quick kind of Hallmark card type responses, right? Hope you're feline better soon or feel better soon. Or if we're being a little more serious, we might say, we're praying for you. We don't know how to grieve over time for ourselves, let alone with others, so we avoid it altogether, And all of us have been in this situation before. Either we've avoided entering into someone else's hard stories or we've been on the other end where we've experienced people avoiding us in our time of grief. And sadly, all this does is encourage us to keep doing the same thing. It teaches us to avoid. Which then leads us to basically dismiss everything. One example of this is seen in how our news is set to change basically every hour we will be told a crazy story and we may even focus on it for a day or two with updates, but then it's gone. Bombing in Iraq, then the story's gone. Stories of poor treatment of children at our borders, and then it's gone. Tragic plane crash, and then it's gone. And we just move right through whatever this story is and it's gone just like that. Even how we look at this content teaches us to dismiss. Have you ever noticed how often the news will be full of all these really hard stories and then ends with some random funny viral video or a cat meme? It's like, oh, thanks for that happy ending. Now I can move on from the pandemic in the world. It invites us to dismiss all the hard stuff we were just bombarded with. So we literally swipe through things one after another, and we become desensitized to feeling, and we dismiss instead of grieve. Let's be real honest. We've all done these three practices in some form with our current situation with COVID-19. We've attempted to numb ourselves to the realities. We've tried to avoid feeling all the feels we naturally should be feeling, and we've avoided diving into its impact on others. And all of us at one point or another have tried to dismiss the whole thing as no big deal, as if thousands of people haven't died as a result. This is not how it should be. If you look at the Psalms, the songbook of the early church, you'd see that around 40% of those songs are songs of grief and lament. For example, Psalm 10, 40, 60, or 90. However, these days, studies show that traditional churches, at best, have around 15%. And the more contemporary evangelical churches of our day only have close to 5 to 10%. 
And if you'd look at the top 100 most popular worship songs being played at churches around the U.S., you'd find that only 5% even have lyrics that remotely represent grief or lament. And even those are not true songs of lament, like the Psalms or Lamentations. The absence of lament results in a loss of memory. We forget about the realities of our suffering and pain, and we become inauthentic shells of humanity, numbing ourselves to feeling, avoiding diving into our own stories, and not knowing how to enter into others, and just straight up dismissing it all. And we even do this in how we worship. Have you ever had a song that when you hear it, a swell of memories comes to mind? A song that got you through a breakup or a song that helps you remember a lost loved one? Music is just one of many tools that can help us process, lament, remember, mourn, and grieve. Our worship is supposed to help us do that. And I'm so thankful for Brian leading us today in allowing us space to both worship and grieve. This is why the Psalms have songs of lament. They help us process and they help us cry out. They help us wail and remember and grieve and learn and continue to move. Sadly, many churches have adopted the lie that says we can celebrate without suffering. But the truth is that without grief, there is no moving forward. There is no growth. There's no learning. And we can't exercise true joy and celebration. But this is what Lent is all about. Again, Lent is meant to be the church's springtime, a time when out of the darkness of sin's winter, a repentant, empowered people emerges. We can't emerge as spirit-empowered people in our communities and our culture without going through all the seasons of life. We need our grieving to be stronger than dismissing. And we see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus was not afraid to feel the feels or enter into other people's difficult stories. Jesus doesn't numb or avoid or dismiss his hurts or the hurts of the people or the world around him. The Son of God who had all power and knows all didn't hold back his tears or squelch his emotions. Jesus didn't have any problem being seen, weeping, or being known as a man of sorrows as well as the resurrection and the life. Why? Well, because in order for humanity to truly flourish as God intended, we need the stories of lament and celebration. We need understandings of the stories of the wilderness and the desert, and the stories of the crucifixion in order to understand the stories of the resurrection. In other words, we can't experience true shalom, true peace, without experiencing our hurt and loss as well. Now, I know some of you are listening right now, and you're thinking, why can't we just worship and celebrate? What's wrong with just focusing on the positive? Why do we need to lament and enter our own stories and enter into the issues of the world? Why can't we just try to be joyful? And I have two answers to this. The first one is that God tells us we need to do that. Ecclesiastes 3 verses 1 and 4 says this, There is a time for everything. 
and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to weep and a time to laugh and a time to mourn and a time to dance. So there are times where the right and most holy and obedient thing we can do is to weep and to mourn. Jesus says on the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Sometimes the only way to be blessed is going to come from grieving and mourning. Now the second reason why we need to grieve and mourn and lament is not just that God's word tells us we need to, but Jesus did this, and Jesus is our example. He set an example for us of how to enter in and engage pain and loss. As Christ's ambassadors, we need to follow his example. And he shows us how to process and heal and flourish and to be transformed and to love well. He shows us how to experience true community and how to have a prophetic voice for those who are hurting. In other words, if we want to be able to comfort people in their times of need, like Jesus did, we have to learn from his example of grieving. We can't offer something to people we have never experienced. And to experience the comfort of God, we must allow ourselves to mourn and grieve. Jesus didn't numb and avoid or dismiss to deal with pain and loss. Rather, he wept. He acted as a wounded healer. And he took up a cry of prophetic lament. Now, the text where Jesus wept in John 11 happens after the death of his dear friend, Lazarus. Now our culture would say, why are you weeping? You're the Messiah and you're about to raise him from the dead. Why bother crying? Or we think, why not tell Mary and Martha just to relax? No problem, right? You got this. You're the Messiah. But Jesus doesn't do this. Jesus doesn't dismiss this loss. He enters into all the pain and loss he's experiencing. He's deeply saddened by the death of his friend, and he feels all the feels that Mary and Martha are feeling in the loss of their son as well. Later in Luke 7, we see Jesus move to compassion upon seeing a woman weeping over the death of her son, her only son. And Jesus doesn't avoid her, nor does he dismiss her situation, but rather enters in and engages the loss and emotions and shows compassion. Who knows, maybe he sees an image of his own mother in this situation. But again, he doesn't avoid it or say, stop it, I'm going to raise him from the dead. No, he enters the pain and loss of this woman with compassion and feels it before he does the healing. We see in Luke 22, 42 through 44, Jesus fully entering into all the pain and suffering of the world as the crucifixion is approaching. He says this, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. I mean, Talk about feeling the feels. 
deep anguish, sweating of blood. He's overwhelmed with what's ahead and is crying out to the Father. But again, he knows the resurrection is coming. Yeah, he doesn't numb himself. He doesn't avoid. He doesn't dismiss the pain and suffering that is very, very present with him. Rather, he enters it fully and grieves. This means not only is Jesus an example of how to enter hard times, but it means Jesus is not indifferent to our struggles. He's experienced great pain, loss, death, and suffering far more than we can ever imagine. And because he has entered these situations, allowing himself to feel all the feels, it makes it so he can enter into others' story as well. This is our example. The more we are able to engage, experience, grieve, and weep over the difficult parts of our story, not only will we be more like Jesus, not only will we experience a blessing, but we will then be better at joining others like Jesus did in their pain. And this is an important time where we need to be able to do this for one another. Carl Jung, a psychotherapist who founded analytical psychology, basically coined the idea of a wounded healer. And many have echoed this idea ever since. Basically, the idea is that you can only go so far with those who are hurting as you have gone with yourself. In other words, if you don't deal with your own stuff, you can't really help others deal with theirs. Theologian Henry Nouwen picked up on this and applied it to the ministry of Jesus, which I think is super accurate. Jesus is the ultimate wounded healer. Isaiah 53 says this, He was despised, describing Jesus, and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and he held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet he considered, we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We see this in Jesus' life. As a child, he was a refugee fleeing from those who wanted to kill him. He was an immigrant in a foreign country. Sometime between the age of 13 and 30, Jesus' dad dies. Joseph passes away before he, Jesus reached adulthood. Jesus had friends who betrayed him. At one point in his life, Jesus was homeless. Jesus was hated. He experienced loneliness. He was part of a persecuted minority within a large empire that hated his people group. He suffered under military rule, was thrown into prison. He was stripped and beaten by a mob of people and died the most horrendous death on the cross. What this all means is that anything you're feeling wounded and hurt by, Jesus can identify with it. And he hurts, loss, pain, depression, loneliness, you name it. Jesus not only identifies with it, he went through it. He mourned, he wept, he engaged, he processed, and got through it all. This is why he can lead us through our hard stories as well. He can comfort us and counsel us and join us. Folks, this is what Jesus does and what he invites us to live out as well. And it works like this. 
when we enter the hardships of life, when we process and experience all the feels, we eventually get through it. We see God's faithful presence through it all. And it's in this that we are then able to enter other situations with hope in the midst. You have experienced not only feeling the hurts, but you have experiencing getting through them with Jesus. And this allows us to help have a prophetic voice to our culture in the midst of hard times. But if all we do is numb and avoid and dismiss, not only do we never experience all that we should, but we never get through it either. So no wonder why we'd hide from doing this with others. This is why the church has almost no voice of influence in our culture. And it's why grieving must be stronger than dismissing. Last week, uh, Ben had been recently gone through knee surgery, and so I had the privilege of teaching our youth, and we talked about faith, what it is, how, how to describe it to others, and we spent time being honest, sharing where we are with regards to our faith in Jesus. It was awesome. Some of the students were super honest about where they were. But the unified response was that everyone had a desire to grow in their faith, which I assume is the case for all of you as well. Otherwise, you'd not be listening to this right now. But here's, here's the thing. One of the best ways for us to grow in our faith is by allowing ourselves to process our grief with Jesus. So with that, I want to ask you again, when was the last time you allowed yourself to grieve? Now, as we got to close this out soon, I do have some action points that I want us to get to with regards to thinking about this practice. These are ways that we can start thinking about how to engage this idea of uh, weeping or mourning or, or grieving more than we do dismissing. And the first thing is the most important. We need to start by inviting the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and to reveal any areas in our life that have, we've been numb to, that we've avoided or dismissed, that we need to, you know, proceed processing. And when we do that, we need to take time to pray and we need to take time to listen. That's the first thing. The second thing we need to do is allow ourselves then to grieve and mourn and weep. Because it's the only way to experience true comfort in Christ. And so if you're feeling hurt, sad, despair, confusion, loneliness, fear, a lack of hope, grief, as we should at this time, you should be telling yourself that you are free to enter into it like Jesus did. Give yourself grace not to numb yourself, to avoid or dismiss it, but to enter into it. I love how 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says it. It says this, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. I'm just going to tell you right now, that is not the scripture I'm supposed to be reading. I have no idea why that's in here. So I'm going to read it to you from my notes. It says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. Verse 5, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. Verse 7, and our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Amen. So all we do is numb, avoid, and dismiss our troubles and hurts. We're never going to experience true comfort, which also means that we won't have comfort to offer to others. Number three, even if you're not feeling hurts and pains and any of those things at the moment, that's awesome. I still want to challenge you to make space to lament. Now, I'm not saying you should just turn into Debbie Downer with every single conversation, but I want to encourage you that when you pray, when you journal, and when you make space to be quiet before God, that you make space to lament the ways the world is not as it should be. Don't allow yourself to be numb to the world, to avoid or dismiss what's happening around you, even if it's not directly happening to you. I'd even go as far as to say that sometimes lament is one of the most courageous things we can do on behalf of God for the world and our community because it sets an example for others to engage with God. Acknowledging that things aren't as they should be, but that we can trust the faithful present God for comfort in the midst. And we need that now more than ever. Number four, we need to find others who can walk with us in this process. This makes sense. Don't do this alone. Find someone who can join you in weeping and grieving. It could be someone in your core group, someone within the church, a counselor, a spiritual director, a family member, or friend. We just launched something called Neighborhood Care Groups. This would be a great group to share that with. Even if you can't be in physical contact with people, you can share what's going on and people can support you and walk with you and pray with you. But in short, do not do this alone. Last, if someone is sharing something difficult with you, we need to remember not to dismiss it or avoid it or to try to fix it. Instead, you need to sit with them. Listen deeply and empathize with them. Try not to blame or accuse. Just be present with them and pray with and for them and remind them that the Holy Spirit is present with them. Now again, this doesn't just happen. This is a practice we need to be engaging with. But the transformation, the empowered people that will emerge as a result of us putting these into practice can be amazing. Okay, I've talked a lot and it's really weird to talk in a room that's empty by yourself and get any sense of whether everyone's sleeping. If you're all sleeping, you should take pictures so I can see that you're sleeping. I appreciate you sticking with me. There's so much more I could say, but I, I wanna close with the hope that you hear an invitation. Much like Bonhoeffer looking over the hills before the this kind of craziness of the world going around and he's pointing, I hope you hear an invitation from God offering you something different from the world. An invitation to make grieving stronger than dismissing. 
And as you do, may you experience true comfort in the midst and grow in your abilities to offer it to others around you, especially in these days to come. Brian's going to take a moment here to, to, to lead us instrumentally, to give us some space to ponder what we've discussed. Um, I really want to invite you to take this time to think about your own story and also what's going on in around you in your community right now, because there's a lot. And I want to invite you just in this moment to take time to ask God to join you in this, to listen, and to think about how you're being invited to respond You can use this space to pray, to confess, to own, to give thanks, to receive, to be filled, to dream. Whatever you feel called to in this time, take it as Brian will play instrumentally and give you that space. I also want you to note that on our website, that prayer app is still live. And so if you would like prayer, if you'd like someone to pray with and for you, just fill that out. Make sure you include a contact and they will get in contact with you in the order in which it was received. We would be honored to do that with you. I'm going to close our time with prayer, then Brian will give us some space to reflect, and then we'll join together with one last song of response. Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, we thank you for your goodness, your grace, your love, your mercy. We thank you for your faithful presence, as close as our very breath even in these places where we desire community and we can't be together as we normally are, we thank you that you are with us. And we thank you for the invitation you've given us today to enter into the difficult things. We confess our natural sense is to avoid, to numb ourselves from these things or to dismiss them. And we recognize, God, that you are inviting us into something different, something that feels a little foreign, And yet as we look at your example, we see uh, Jesus leading us into something that is transformative. Something that will bring about something our world desperately needs to see. The health of owning our stories and processing our grief and the transformation that comes from that. That we might invite others to do the same. That we might be able to walk with others as they're trying to do so. And so God, give us a vision of who we could be doing that with and the stories that we need to engage with and help us to know, Holy Spirit, you're with us and put people in our life to walk with us. And in these next days, as we try to figure out what it looks like to be faithfully present in our community and our family and our friends in the midst of this COVID-19 situation, we ask for your leading and your guidance, for your protection and help us to process all that we need to process for your glory. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.